Hey, all you snaky babies. So we were fortunate enough to be able to interview Daenery Grace for our episode, Crafting with Words. However, due to the length of the episode, we are going to go ahead and split it into two episodes just to make it easier for everybody to digest and also to make sure we're able to maintain the integrity of the content of what was discussed and not have to over edit anything for the sake of time. So that being said, we will be introducing Daenery Grace in both episodes. Here we go. New York-based social justice warrior Daenery Grace is a black, bisexual, proudly fat, multiply disabled, poor, femme, witchy, non-binary, agender woman. They're a blues singer, songwriter, poet, essayist, screenwriter, public speaker, educator, activist, and editor-in-chief of the Rooted in Rights blog, a publication by and for disabled people. Their art is rooted in the human experience, love, family, sex, trauma, oppression, etc., as a conduit for liberation. We don't get free without people, and people contain multitudes. So she shares her experiences as a human being to speak to, the diversity of life's journeys, the effects of oppression on those lives, and envisioning what liberation in life, in love, in creativity looks like and feels like. Daenery Grace doesn't believe that most art in and of itself will directly lead to liberation, but that it is a guiding light that can give us strength, hope, validation, and even insight as we make our way there, which makes it an essential tool for freedom. As a freelance writer, they have written for Bitch Magazine, Black Youth Project, Brooklyn Magazine, Everyday Feminism, Black Girl Dangerous, and The Establishment, among several others. Currently unrepresented, she's working on a book about her experiences living in a government-subsidized housing, The Projects, tentatively titled Stuck, Singing While Suffocating, a memoirish generational tale of life in the projects. They also founded Fat Acceptance Month in January 2019. As this bio demonstrates, Daenery Grace's pronouns are she, they, and they strongly prefer that people mix it up regularly, if one can remember to do so. Again, we are so thankful and grateful to have had Daenery on this episode or for this interview, which will now be two episodes. Uh, We will have links and information to her uh, Instagram and their Patreon and all their other platforms in the show notes for these episodes. We'll also be doing a promotion of their GoFundMe campaign uh, for some legal... for their legal involvement or for a legal case they are pursuing. If you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to either of the Gorgons or to Denary themselves. Thanks so much and enjoy the episode. I'm Heather with Tangled Bee Crafts. And I'm Jesse with Polar Night. And together we are the Crafty Gorgons. And today we have a very special guest that we have been like anxiously awaiting and counting down and like checking in constantly. Uh, we have Denary Grace here to talk with us about word craft. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. It is a huge honor to have you. And we're just I feel like I've known you forever, but this is our first time actually like seeing each other in real yeah. time. So <laughs> this is super exciting for me on that level. Like I'm just gushing. I'm just like, yeah. Yay. I'm real. <laughs> I know. It's so like sketchy. Like, uh. 
So today we wanted Denary on to talk with us a little bit about their um, different experiences with crafting words, whether it's book crafting, advocacy work, uh, storytelling, poetry, you have just kind of this wide plethora of skills uh, that you really bring to the table. But before we get into that, I wanted to start off with talking a little bit about our works in progress right now. Jesse, what do you got going on? Admittedly, I had a, you know, I had a drama week with uh, medical snafus and all kinds of stuff. So I managed to get some painting in. Um, I painted some mushroom rocks with every intent, every intention. Sorry, I'm not my throat with the cough, but I had every intention of getting those out for the mushroom day and it just didn't happen. And I decided to just be gentle with myself about that because I think we all need to just sometimes just be like, this isn't getting out on any kind of a time frame, And I enjoyed doing it. And that, that was Absolutely. what I decided to do. That's um, and important. then um, I was babysitting and the kid that I was with got to paint too. So that was really fun. Oh, nice. Awesome. And Neri, what about you? What whips are you working on right now? Uh, what am I working on? I am... As a creative, specifically, I'm working on my book, of course, um, which we'll talk more about later. Um, but I'm also working on a couple of essays. Um, one I'm waiting, I wanted to punch it up a little bit. I wanted to add a little something extra to it before sending it off to a friend um, to be edited a little bit. Um, that I'm hoping to post to my Patreon soon. Um, and then um, it's kind of like, you know, with music and poetry, it's one of those things where, um, and we'll get into some of this later, but it's one of those things where, um, you know, things come to you, like, you know, you see a phrase or a word or you like hear a melody or whatever. Um, and an idea comes to you and like sometimes, you know, like I, I've like heard stories of like, you know, people like Alanis Morissette, like writing a song in like half an hour or something like that, you know, and like sometimes it works like that. And then other times, like there's this one song that I have that I actually have to rewrite because somehow I lost a recording of the second verse and I don't have the lyrics anywhere. So I have to rewrite like half the song. But um there was that that song the way it was originally written it took me like 10 years to finish it um you know I kind of like had the first verse in the chorus and then I was like I don't know <laughs> and like I just kind of like you know something you just kind of put to the side and um once I started you know I kind of like abandoned writing as a professional craft um for a really long time you know tried to go to sort of quote unquote, quote unquote straight and narrow um you know, more practical career choice um, road. And um, so once I got back into it and realized, oh, I guess this is what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. Um, I revisited the song and I finished it uh, back in uh, 2017. Like I said, after after you do it, LOL sob. Um, it's, a terrible, <laughs> it's a terrible habit, um, you know, with the whole not writing things down, not recording the melodies or like, saving them to my phone but then like my phone dies and I have to get a new one and now everything is lost it's terrible but um yeah and so with the music and poetry like that's kind of like 
Like I technically have works in progress, um, but like nothing that I've touched for a bit. And like, even like the other day, like I got, you know, like ideas for a po- got an idea for a poem. And then like, I also got an idea for a song. I think while I was watching, you know, while I was listening to music, um, I was headed on like, cause I, w- I use Google play, um, not Google play, uh, YouTube music um, to listen to music. And so like, um, I was listening to like a blues, like playlist thingy, just like ran, like, you know, the computer randomly picking songs. And um, yeah, and I got an idea for a song while I was listening to one of those songs, um, you know, and so it just kind of, you know, flows like that. Um, so like there are things like that that are up in the air, but in terms of like things that I'm actively working on, the book obviously is the main thing and essays, um, you know, the essays that I mentioned. And then um, I'm also trying to, I'm still like, cause I've, it's another one of those things where I like put it down and I'm hoping to pick it back up, but um, also working on uh, what will hopefully be a um, short film. Um, I'm not working on the actual filming, um, I'm still writing, um, but um, you know, I'm also into screenwriting. Um, I've loved film since I was in high school, and um, but it just never occurred to me that like that's a job that people do. Like, oh, you have to. Someone has to write the script. <laughs> you yeah, know. yeah, uh, it's real work. <laughs> yeah, um, technically, like I took a screenwriting course in um, undergrad, but like it still didn't. Like it was like, oh, this is a thing that people do, and then I got to grad school, and it was like, oh wait, this is something I could do. <laughs> like, wait a minute. Um, yeah, so that's been like almost a decade of that, um, and so I'm trying to work on an outline for a short screenplay. It will be like 10 minutes long-ish. Um, that is actually uh, about my, it's not about the entire thing, but it's about an aspect of um, my recent experience of uh, domestic abuse. Um, and um, it's called Out of Spite. Um, and I'm really excited about that. Um, and I think that's, pretty much it other than dipping my toe into my new role as editor-in-chief at Rooted and Rights. So um, I'm kind of like really focused on that. And I know that was like the longest answer ever. <laughs> no, that's perfect. I think that just illustrates something that we've been talking about before is this like the never ending whip train or work in yeah. progress train where it's <laughs> yeah. like last episode, I talked about how it's like, I love starting projects. I don't know about finishing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's the other thing. That's the other thing, especially when you've been, I've been writing, you know, and, um, and singing since I was a kid. So like, especially when, like, when like you've been doing this for a really long time, it's like, Oh yeah. I remember that song that I started writing 15 years ago. And I don't know. oh that's awesome though very cool I I am excited to see though where some of these projects go and hopefully we'll talk about them a little bit more yeah absolutely what is Heather working on oh well question um I have been in a bit of a manic episode so I've been doing a lot uh like, that doesn't sound like you at all. No, not at all. 
Um, no, I, I describe it as like feeling like I have bees in my brain where it's just like mm. constant. Um, mm. And so the, my coping with that has, has always been some sort of creativity. And so for me, um, I recently started actually assembling a wreath and like, I'm not oh, really nice. a, a wreath person. Like I don't decorate mm. my house like that. Mm. Um, but I got like hyper fixated on making a wreath. So that's what we're doing right now. Um, and then I'm working on a penguin, even though it's not Christmas, I'm working on crocheting a penguin. (laughs) Yeah. You know, everybody needs more penguins. So yeah, my big whips right now. (laughs) Cool. So I know we've gotten into it a little bit. Um, but tell us a little bit about the type of writing you do, because yours, your works are pretty, pretty expansive and cover a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, so I would say that I am, I was going to use the word primarily, but then that would be lying. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would say that I started off, like I said, I've been doing, you know, I've been a storyteller since I was a kid. And so um, I would say I started off singing, like just singing, according to my mother. Um, I've been singing since I was two. Um, and then probably sometime around second or third grade ish, um, I actually started writing songs, you know, my own songs. Um, not like literally physically writing them, but like, and I like, <laughs> this is, this is a, uh, I think this is in my book, but yeah, this is in my book, um, in the sort of like, um, you know, the intro preface thing. Um, but yeah, I started writing songs on the toilet <laughs> when I was a kid. Like, you know, I'm just sitting there waiting for the poop and like, you know, stuff. Just yes. <laughs> and like, and it's so funny, like, I was actually just thinking this, but like, it's hilarious how like, like 30 almost 30 years later and like I still have not learned the lesson of like writing things down (laughs) and recording them and keeping a record of everything so that things don't get lost um but yeah when I was a kid like I literally would just sit on the toilet and like mix it up (laughs) no pun intended and like like, then like later on I'd be trying to remember like I didn't write down the words I like I didn't record them like the melody with the tape recorder cassettes yeah like I didn't record anything and so I would just forget the stuff and then I think by the time I got to fourth grade I was like I at least like understood I should probably write the words down <laughs> so I started right actually writing the words still wasn't recording the melodies at that point um but I remember in fourth grade um performing for the first time in front of my class uh, which was a mix actually of fourth and fifth graders it was one of those gifted classes quote unquote um and we had a little talent show like right before winter break and so that was my first time singing in public um and I sang a song that I made up and I don't remember what it was about but I remember that like in hindsight as I've been writing for a long time that it was actually not that great but I was like nine so I'm not like oh like terrible craftsmanship like you know I was a kid but um, I actually got better, like, at least by my current adult standards, um, actually fairly quickly. Um, 
uh, by the time I was like 11 or so. Um, and I really think that that was due to the fact that I started listening to music on a regular basis or sort of like how they say like, you know, in order to be a writer, you have to be a reader, you know? And so like, yeah, music is the same thing. Like once I was like really, you know, picking my own music and listening to music on my own, um, that's when, you know, the songwriting in terms of like structure and things like that really got a lot better. Um, and so I started with that. And then I also started doing poetry um, around that time. Um, you know, cause they kind of like songwriting and poetry kind of go hand in hand historically. Um, and then, and presently too as well, obviously. Um, and that year I actually wrote, my fifth grade year, I actually wrote a play um, that we almost performed like my class almost performed because I presented it to my teacher and she was like really excited about it and then it was like literally like the end of the school year so like we had like no time um but Aww. you know just that, yeah but just that encouragement was really it was called the magic alligator and it was about a boy and a girl who meet a magic alligator and go on a wondrous adventure that's all I remember but, like, <laughs> you know, like I started really young and so like from that point on, you know, throughout high school, it was mostly songwriting with some poetry. Um, but of course, like, you know, I had to do like English classes and things like that. So like I wrote essays then as well, like for school, you know. Um, but in terms of like learning the basics of essay writing, you know, I learned it in public school, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and, um, and then I got to college. Um, you know, to undergrad and, you know, discovered spoken word, you know, which is um, its own craft unto itself, but, you know, is, you know, at its most basic is, you know, essentially just reciting your, your poetry in public, um, you know, or for an audience. And, um, and uh, that kind of kept my creative bulb, like, you know, glowing sort of so to speak um because you know by that point like you know like I said before I had made the decision to like go in this into this practical quote-unquote career um I was going to be a high school English teacher and you know secure the bag as they say and um then life happened <laughs> lol <laughs> oh we know all about life <laughs> uh that was not in the cards for me although i did go to grad school with the intent of becoming a teacher um i was there for two years but by the time i left i didn't graduate but by the time i left um my life took a different trajectory uh, by that time i published this was 2013 2014 I published or had published um, a my first um, personal essay. Um, there was a blog uh, back then at the time called Black Girl Dangerous. Um, really, really awesome. And I had seen, um, oh my God, I'd seen Fruitvale Station in theaters a couple of times actually, uh, first with a friend and then with my mom. And um, you know, that had a real impact on me. And I thought, hmm, I should like share this publicly. But you know, I, like I didn't have a website. I didn't have like my own blog or whatever. And I was already familiar with them. And so I submitted it and they said, and they accepted it pretty much with no changes, like no edits. And um, 
I think that's when I started to see it as more of a viable like career choice, you know, as a freelancer specifically. Um, particularly like about a year later at the end of 2014, uh, when I started writing for Everyday Feminism um, as one of their regular writers. And I was there for about four months, but that experience, you know, just really showed me what was possible and also reminded me of, you know, what my true calling is and, you know, where my talents really lie. Um, and I do still, and I, I mentioned this um, to someone I spoke to the other day, you know, I do still teach, um, of course, but not in like a traditional classroom way, obviously. Um, but it really like showed me and like, not only showed me, but also reminded me that like, I can do something with this, you know, like it's not, you know, like a lot of creative careers are like looked at this, this like pie in the sky, like, uh, like go into STEM, like go make a bajillion bucks, you know, why are you picking these unviable, you know, college majors, blah, 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 all that bullshit. I don't know. If, I don't know if we can swear. But, um, no, you, you can swear on here. Okay. Yeah, I swear all the time. Okay. Uh, and we, yeah, our first episode was us like, are we gonna swear? Yeah, we're gonna swear. Because <laughs> I just I can't. I don't have enough of a filter after hours. <laughs> like, I can't keep it up that long. Yeah, and so you know, and so that was kind of the trajectory because the. The, when I when I had the um, the Black Girl Dangerous essay published, that was about a year after I realized, oh, I want to do screenwriting, and so you know all the creative stuff was just you know kind of bubbling back up, um, you know at the same time, you know for the first time in a long time, and um, after I lost a job, uh, my first and only ever full time job in 2016. Um, you know, I basically just decided to commit, like, oh, I guess, I guess that's a sign. <laughs> like, I'm not supposed to be doing that. Um, and so, yeah, and so I've pretty much been um, just doing, essentially doing my own thing um, for the last six years, technically six years, um, but I kind of start from five years ago, because that's when I started my Patreon and really uh, you know, did my first, you know, shows on my own, you know, with performing and things like that, um, that year, um, and, um, yeah, poetry, essays, songwriting, screenwriting, um, screenwriting has been very, like, very, um, what's the word I'm thinking of? It's been a life of solitude at this point. Um, like I've, I've submitted to a couple of contests, but um, it's mostly been a mix of working on my craft on my own and um, and like taking like, you know, classes and, you know, things like that. But um, working on my craft on my own and then like, especially like when you're someone who like has their hands in a lot of different hats, um, like also kind of like putting it to the side and, you know, focusing on, you know, on other creative endeavors. Um, but I have, you know, recently, like I mentioned the, the short um, that I'm trying to work on the outline for, um, you know, that I've definitely been jumping into it more and also uh, into screenwriting more and also um, 
trying to connect more directly with the community. Um, so like I, you know, as opposed to just like sort of, you know, following like Twitter or Instagram accounts and learning from them or like, you know, reading articles and working on my own shit, like, you know, also just like trying to connect with the community directly. So like I joined like a Facebook group for black screenwriters and, you know, when I've gone to like a few events, um, hosted by this organization of uh, Black folks in um, TV and film. Um, and, uh, and I'm hoping to become a member soon um, of the organization. It's a nonprofit. Um, you know, and just trying to like, you know, make those connections because that's, like, obviously you need the talent and, and all of that stuff, but, you know, really what makes the career is making those connections and, you know, creating community and and whatnot. Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, that's kind of, I don't remember what the question was, but. Uh, <laughs> no, it, it's perfect. You, you actually kind of in your own way answered, I think like the first three, mm-hmm. um, which oh. is really great. No, um, I love a lot of what you were saying, but this last point that you made about the importance of making community and connections, I I do think that's a big reason why we wanted to start this podcast was to have people have that opportunity who wouldn't typically have these types of audiences, you know, like part of our goal is to help expand everybody's audiences. And that's why we are trying to get such a wide group of crafters featured on this. Um, And also because you know, I think there's baby crafters in the world who, you know, start out in something and then they get their first rejection and then they think, oh, that's it. Like, I it's over now. Yeah. Um, and I love what you're sharing right now about how hard it has been to like get ahead to where you want to be because it, you put out really good stuff. Like the stuff oh, of yours you. that I have read has been like, I can feel your voice, you know what I mean? Oh, thank you. And, um, even on Facebook, your Facebook posts are some of the most personable, like human posts where it's like, I could, you know, wipe out everybody's name and pictures and read posts and be like, "Ah, that's Daenery. (laughs) You can't say that about a lot of people. And it's, you know, it's one of those things where I really think that having you share where you're coming from, as far as like your writing journey. Yeah. It's hopefully going to be huge for listeners who have maybe been discouraged by not being immediately famous. Cause again, oh, no, I think it to those unrealistic expectations you talk about Jesse. Yeah, no. And one thing yeah. that stood out for me, if you don't mind, if I jump way back, yeah. no, way, fine. Way back. pooping on the toilet. Cause that's, that's <laughs> no, my creative process right now. <laughs> that was awesome, but not as far back as I was going to go. <laughs> um, but I come from a special education background where I went mm-hmm. to a special school. And so I had to have a lot of unlearning from mentors about my attitudes mm-hmm. towards myself, including there is a picture of me in high school wearing a sign that says, my name is Jesse and I am smart because I would walk around calling myself a fucking idiot wouldn't I, when I didn't get something right the first time. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so hearing about those mentors and that, that early, mm-hmm. like just having one teacher that believes that you can do it is so mm-hmm. important. And I think people know oh, yeah. that in regards to even just adults, like telling other people. Oh, absolutely. Do it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. One of them, um, one of the most memorable things for me is, so that was fifth grade, but in the sixth grade, um, I don't even remember like what the context was. I just remember I was standing somewhere 
and my sixth grade teacher, Mrs. Faye Simpson, <laughs> uh, was standing uh, there with the um, the the librarian of the school, and they were I don't even remember like why what they were talking about why they were talking about me, but at one point I think I think Mrs. Simpson said this to the librarian. I don't think it was the other way around, but one of them said she's gonna grow up to be a writer. And like, like literally just like point blank, like this is what I see, like these are like the talents that I'm like, you know, noticing as the teacher, blah, 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 blah. And I don't remember like what my reaction was in that moment because that was over 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's something that I kind of like pull from and like hold on to, you know, after all these years. And then when I was in high school, my last two years of high school, I had the same teacher for English um, because he taught uh, honors English and then he taught also taught AP English. Um, and our senior year, and I don't know, actually, I should ask someone um, if they still do this, but uh, with him specifically, um, I believe they did the, we did like the um, like senior like essay things and like you could sort of like write about whatever you wanted to write about. And I, of course, without naming people, I wrote about um, being abused uh, by my cousin um, sexually. And the day that we had our round of like, you know, seniors reading their essays in front of, you know, in front of their classmates, in front of our classmates, um, there was, uh, funnily enough, a student teacher um, who was visiting, like a grad student, you know, who was like doing her observations um, at our school that day. And I read my essay and I don't remember how long after the class was over, but at some point my teacher, uh, Mr. Robert Amoroso, um, he- <laughs> I'm like, are we putting him on blast? Do we need to like dox him? No, no, no. <laughs> I'm like getting um, ready, like writing his name and watching <laughs> not that bad. <laughs> He, um, he came up to me and he said, he let me know that um, I actually made the student teacher cry. And, you know, and again, like, just like, you know, with the sixth grade teacher, it was like, you know, the power of words, you know, not the power of words. Um, with the sixth grade teacher, it was like, you know, like you were saying, you know, uh, something like you can do this or like, this is something you're capable of. And then I get to high school and, you know, like 11th, 12th grade teacher is like, these are like the power of those words and like the power of this thing that you're able to do, you know? Yeah. And, you know, those things, they don't necessarily like completely pivot your entire life, but they are, you know, like I said before, like these little nuggets that you sort of carry with you throughout your life. And like, you know, even when I wasn't actively pursuing um, creative endeavors as a career, you know, those are still things that like, happen to you or you witness or experience that you don't forget particularly as a creative person like like oh wow like they're showing me like I don't know if like with the with the sixth grade teacher like I don't know if she was like deliberately saying it in front of me to be like hey wink wink nudge nudge or if they just happened <laughs> to be like having a grown-up conversation and like who cares just the little kids are here but like regardless like you know it still had this impact you know in addition to of course my fifth grade teacher you know encouraging me enough to like say oh we can do this play like that means a lot you know 
Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely grateful. Go teachers. Except for Ooh, the yeah. <laughs> no, it's, I, I'm really glad you bring that up because, you know, I'm in the mental health field. And one of the things that we work from is this idea that everyone carries around a backpack, right? And different people have different rocks in their backpacks of different types of traumas, different types of adversities, different things that limit them in some way um, or hold them back or have the potential to. And then you have balloons in those backpacks, right? And the thing is, is in life, you're not going to be able to take away the trauma. You can't take back the adversity. You can't change your privileged status, right? And so one of the things that we talk about in the mental health field is ways that we can bolster individuals and systems to give people more balloons, because the idea is the balloons are helping lift the backpack. Mm -hmm. So it's not as heavy. It's still there, but -hmm. it's not as heavy. Um, And I think you bringing up the teachers is exactly what that is, is it's putting those balloons in your backpack to help Mm -hmm. you move forward in the direction you want to. So you've done a ton of freelance work which sidebar, that's why I'm a little bit nervous because Heather let me know about all the amazing things that you've done. So I'm in awe of you right now. So I'm just powerful, powerful human who I'm just in awe of right now. Oh, thank you. Um, but you've worked for, uh, magazines, including bitch magazine, uh, black youth project, Brooklyn magazine, everyday feminism, black girl dangerous, and the establishment among several others. What's it like to do work for magazines and getting it published? And how is it different from other types of creative work? Yeah, you know, like (laughs) when I was a kid, you know, like I said, I started singing really early and I probably started wanting to be a singer um, as early as like four or so, according to my late father. Um, That's probably around when it started. And um you know, when you're a kid and, you know, you're growing up in like the rejuvenated 90s version of the boy band era and, you know, and MTV and BET and VH1 and all that good stuff, uh, pop-up video, <laughs> like, <laughs> say what, karaoke. Um, when you grow up with those, and I know like only older millennials are going to know what the hell that is, but um, um when you grow up with that stuff, there's, and you're a kid and like kids are children, and like what, like, you know, I think unless you're a child in the business, there's a sort of um, romanticizing of what it means to be a celebrity, to be a star. I wanna be a singer, you know, and what that looks like. And after undergrad, you know, I started working at Target, um, part-time of course um not enough hours five cent raises per year but um you know I started yeah, working I, there my issues with Target <laughs> I have a long I will conflict. forever rage but, <laughs> but um you know I started working there and I was there for about three years and you know it really sort of like really informed my sense of, of what it means to be a worker and what it means to be pro-worker. Um, I sort of, you know, had started kind of learning about it in a, you know, theoretical academic way in undergrad, you know, sort of associating myself with uh, more radical left folks, um, you know, that I met through, yeah. you know, activism and stuff like that. Give me that gold. 
sorry audience (laughs) Uh, (laughs) of parent life but um yeah I you know but I didn't really have much practical experience my mom allowed us to you know like you were saying earlier Heather you know do those extracurricular activities and things like that in high school so you know I was in choir and I was in band and I did like plays for three years out of the four years I was there and I was on a debate team and blah 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 and so you know that that tradition sort of like continued pretty much um in in undergrad like I did not do the work study program you know I probably could have used it um (laughs) but uh you know and so you know it wasn't until I got to Target that I really started working in any like real sense on a regular basis and so once I started a few years later really getting into freelancing um specifically as a creative person you know as opposed to like you know a freelance plumber or something like that um once I started getting into it it really started transforming the way that I looked at being a creative um you know and I compare it to plumber just because you know like think of a plumber or an electrician or something you're like we know that those are workers right like you know there's this kind of like certain image of what a worker is and you know creative people are not looked at as workers um who need support and you know money (laughs) yep no we're yep (laughs) you know it's like again it's like pie in the sky like that's what the rich kids do you know sort of a thing um, but art is for everyone, of course. And some of us use our talents to survive capitalism. Um, and so when I really, so when I first started getting into freelancing, like as a regular gig, you know, gig economy job um, where we don't really have unions, although technically a freelancer union exists, but, you know, it's not robust not and powerful and yeah, fly everywhere. And, you know, it's just a mess. Um, and so, and so starting, like, my experience has been, like, it's great, but it's not great, <laughs> um, <laughs> precisely because of the worker issues, um, you know, people not getting paid in to- on time, people not getting paid at all, um, yeah. you know, you're not an employee, technically, part-time or full-time. And, you know, a lot of these companies, I mean, it's capitalism, you know, they think they can just bullshit you. Um, And then the other part, too, of it is, you know, specifically when you're talking about media, you know, a lot of the places that I've done work for, you know, they're not the New York Times, they're not Washington Post. They're these really small, um, you know, donation-based, self-funded sort of media organizations, you know, places like Itch. Uh, which who I've written for, which just um, a few months ago um, dissolved, um, you know, and then there was um, Race Bader, um, who I've written for, um, which dissolved last year, um, as did um, Where Your Voice, who I've also written for, um, also went down last year. And so, you know, a lot of these places, you know, the places that aren't the big name, big money media organizations, um, a lot of them fail and some of them, you know, like bitch, you know, last longer than others, obviously. Um, bitch has been around for a long time, you know, before it finally succumbed to the way, you know, the media market has changed over the, over the years and decades. 
But, um, you know, that's part of the issue, too, is that when you want to do a certain kind of work, a work that is outside of, um, you know, the sort of media hierarchy, um, it's really hard. You know, we don't have, like, venture capitalists, you know, supporting our work and, like, you know, we're not getting the attention of, like, multi-million dollar celebrities who are constantly donating, you know, their millions of dollars and, you know, and that means you can't pay people as much and that means you have a smaller staff and, you know, it means a lot of things um, depending on where you are. And, and so that's part of the hard thing too, is like, you want to give as a writer, you know, as someone who depends on, you know, this kind of work to eat <laughs> and live, um, you know, you depend on, or you want to depend on you know, these kind of organizations but like you also need to get paid a living wage and, you know, getting paid, you know, five cents a word is just not going to cut it, you know, um, you know, or like $50 for an essay, you know what I mean? Um, and, you know, you kind of give the smaller places grace um, sometimes, <laughs> right. uh, sometimes um, you give the smaller places grace, be- you know, precisely because you know, you know, how the systems work, um, but it's hard. You know, and then of course the bigger places are harder to get into, and and um, you know it's frustrating. But you know, like I said, you know, at the end of the day, like I've been doing this my whole life. So like I've been a writer my whole life. I've been a storyteller my whole life, and that's what I love doing, and that's what I'm able to do, like in terms of my disabilities. So I'm stuck. <laughs> like, like this is just. Uh, this is what I'm doing so um you know you kind of take the good with the bad you know and that's like gig economy in general and it's hard but um but I think it's worth it um I think that I wish that we were valued more yeah uh, for the work that we do you know like freelancers versus staff writers and things like that but um yeah it's it's been it's been an interesting road, that's for sure. I've learned a lot over the years, obviously. Um, but, and I've learned a lot about myself as a storyteller. Um, I've learned, you know, as I've you know taken this new role, excuse me, as I've taken this new role um, as an editor in chief, um, I, you know, reflect on how I've, learned from the editors that I've worked with over the years, you know, the kindness, the grace, the integrity, um, you know, that has been given to me and shown to me over the years, you know, and wanting to pass that on um, to the writers that I work with in this new role. Um, And, you know, integrity and character, those things matter a lot. Um, and, um, And I've learned to be more confident in myself as a storyteller, specifically as an essayist um, over the years that, you know, people will see the value in your work and see the talent in it um, and it speaks for itself. Um, and so you can like stop doubting so much, <laughs> yes. um, you know, and like those moments still happen, but like at the end of the day, like, I know I'm the shit when it comes to writing. Like I'm a writer, like I'm a storyteller. This is what I do. And like, there's always something to learn, especially when it comes to like, you know, like I wouldn't like toot my own horn when it comes to screenwriting. I still feel like I have a lot to learn. 
But like overall, like I know, like this is what I'm here to do, and can't nobody tell me shit. So like, yes. you know, yes. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm just saying, you know, like, and so I'm grateful for that growth because I know that for a long time, you know, those years when I was kind of like avoiding it you know that that was part of the fear of like not being good enough and yes thank so, and you so, for hitting on that yes yeah. and so I'm definitely eternally grateful to that to my freelancing career which is ongoing obviously um you know precisely for teaching me that lesson and reminding me of, of who I've always been and also the ways that I've grown because every time I think about that fourth grade talent show and that terrible ass song I'm like <laughs> I've definitely come a very long way as a storyteller so I'm grateful for that it, it's funny because like our second episode which is about to air in like two days from the time that we're recording this is about capitalism and crafting and I feel like you hit on several points that we were making as far as like the underappreciation this like mentality that it's like frou-frou like it's not essential yeah. it's you know mm. it's not real work and it's like yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm glad you're hitting on that because this is just very apt um so I would love to hear from you other artists that you have pulled inspiration from yeah um I I believe the term was specific, the question was specifically about black artists yes um, so I'm going yes. to speak to that specifically yeah. Um, yeah. So I think one of my, in terms of my own personal journey, um, not just as a storyteller, but as an activist um, or artivist, as I like to call it, um, and as some other people call it, um, I think one of the biggest influences for me um, was June Jordan. Okay. Um, who, you know, a poet, activist, um, and many other things. Um, who I discovered um, in undergrad. You know, I was an English major, of course, LOL. And <laughs> and um, I was also, you know, coming into my, my an understanding of myself um, as bi. Um, I came out to myself uh, the second semester of my first year um, at Rutgers University in New Jersey. Um, and then I came out um publicly uh the first semester of my junior year so about a year and a half later um and somewhere in that time I learned about her and you know she was this um black specifically Jamaican um you know bisexual openly bisexual poet um and this was also around the time that I was first stepping into, you know, my work as an activist specifically. Um, so it was all kind of happening at the same time, you know. And, you know, I read her poem, um, Poem for Buddy, and I used it as sort of like a jumping off point uh, for a class, we were supposed to, a poetry class, we were supposed to read, you know, something, you know, by someone and then base our own original poem, you know, essentially on like the structure 
of you know the poem that we read and I discovered her and first you know discovering her was important because you know there's like a lot of discussion in different circles around intersectionality and you know I've been out as non-binary for more than four years now but you know at the time I was um, identifying and, and understood myself as a woman. Um, and at the time, I also didn't really understand the term cis, uh, but, you know, specifically a cis woman. And, you know, and so having this Black bi woman, you know, who was also a poet um, that I could look up to, you know, at the very, 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 very beginning of finally coming to terms with who I was um, really meant a lot. But it also meant a lot because it was this really great window into what an activist can look like. Sure. And, you know, there's, of course, a lot of discourse, quote unquote, um, online about what activism really is and, um, you know, tactics and, you know, what's viable and what, what works and what doesn't and, you know, paying attention to history and reading the greats and, you know, fuck the elders, what do they know? Like, you know, it was just like so many different, it's like, it's a mess. And <laughs> it's a mess. Um, <laughs> but I really do believe in the importance of the arts um, as part of activism. Um, I don't really do what most people would call like quote unquote on the ground organizing. Um, I'm a teacher and an artist. That's like, you know, my primary, um, you know, sort of activist prongs, prongs of activism, but um, right. <laughs> you know, um, and obviously, and, and it's funny because like I actually tweeted about this. I don't even remember how many months ago, um, but you know, within activist spaces, you know, and not like, obviously this isn't like universal, like I'm not like indict, indicting the entire <laughs> activist community, especially since it's such a disparate, like, I mean, it's so nebulous, I mean, come on. But, you know, there are some people, you know, who don't value teachers and artists um, or don't value us as much and you know, and I tweeted about how that's, you know, really sort of a reflection of society in general, um, the way that we treat, because, you know, artist is not necessarily the same as a celebrity, like a lot of artists are yeah. not celebrities, like celebrity culture is a whole other thing. But like the way that we as a society treat artists and treat educators is abysmal. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and so I feel like, you know, it actually makes sense when there's still so much of these systems that we haven't dismantled, it makes a lot of sense that within activist, you know, circles, um, that you know, things like teaching and particularly art um, are less valued um, and more ridiculed. Um, well, and it, it's also it's also ableist because it's no, one absolutely. of those, it's one of those things that I when I was in college that I was dealing with where it was like we had students who for various reasons could not physically be out there marching and yeah, absolutely had students and professors because there was you know one of our assignments was to participate in activism and like all the suggestions listed were very 
indicative of being physically able to be out there building something, be out there, you know, marching, yeah. being out there, doing all these different things, protesting, sitting, mm-hmm. you know, part of the sitting in, cause I went to college during Occupy. Um, mm-hmm. And it's like, we had students who physically could not do that or financially could not afford yeah. to do that. Right. Yeah. And so there, there's a lot of isms that go into that active space or that activism space. Like you were kind of talking about where it's like activism is important. However, it manifests as long as the intention mm-hmm. is right. And there is, you know, and I think the role of educators is making sure you aren't being destructive to your own cause with what you're putting mm-hmm. out and what you're doing. Oh yeah. Um, and we see it all the time. There's so much of queer history, like even the exchange I had today where like someone ended up blocking me after misgendering me, but like, you know, where people don't know history or don't know the whole history. And I'm, and I'm including myself, um, you know, even with, you know, over 14 years of activism, I mean, like, obviously like no one is expected to literally know everything, but you know, even after 14 years of activism, there's still so much, you know, that I can learn, but like, you know, those of us who have learned, you know, to varying extents, you know, some of us more than others, you know, are often not even listened to. Like, right. like that's not what that word means, uh, you know? And like, people are so like disconnected from their history, you know, like even like, I don't, I don't want to get into this here, but like the kinks at pride, <laughs> kink at pride discourse, like it's a mess. And like, people are just, I mean, it's, and, and, you know, of course the disconnection from our history is intentional of course, you know, is systemic because if we don't know our history, doomed to repeat it, blah, 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 you know, but also when you sever those ties from history, dog, when you sever those ties from history, um, you also lose a part of community, you know, um, connection to elders, like you don't even know who they are, let alone like how to find them and organize with them. And like, you know, and like, I remember I seeing this tweet the other day that was like, you know, quoting like younger people like oh all the trans elders are dead who are we gonna turn to it's like ah, we're right here like like obviously <laughs> like you know there are you know higher death rates for certain marginalized groups um including you know trans folks particularly trans women and femmes but like elders do exist like we're out here you know, and I'm not one of them. <laughs> not yet. But, um, I was like, I wouldn't count you as elder, but maybe I'm like, like grossly miscalculating your age. <laughs> no, no, I, was, I was quoting. Um, but, um, you know, like, you know, the tweet was like, no, we're out here. Like, uh, and, and how like, and then how painful that is too, you know, to like, yeah. in real time, like watch people just disregard history, you know, like, disregard the history of terms like disregard like the writers you know the theorists um you know who have paved the way who have given us roadmaps how to do all this shit like you know it's it's hard to watch because people will be so this is this is another reason why I'm not using the video I'm like (laughs) you know you're fine (laughs) but like you know are so like um married to an idea of like of their idea of what the history is and it's like mm, no and it's frustrating you know sure. um and so you know the education is very important and I think that 
in general in activist spaces, you know, educating is valued more than artists, but it's still um, downplayed. And I think part of that is, is because of how people are educating, you know, in 2022 versus how they were educating their communities in 1972, you know? Yeah. And so there's also like a lot of romanticizing about, you know, how things were then, but like, you know, as you were saying, you know, with the ableism is like, well, that wasn't accessible to everyone, you know, in 1972. And like, not everyone could like make it to those meetings where they were learning about, you know, XYZ revolution or like XYZ planning community committee or whatever. And, you know, and so the tools that we have today and like, obviously like, for multiple reasons, you know, social media and like email and things like these, um, like that aren't perfect, you know, especially, you know, we live in a surveillance state, um, but, you know, um, those tools are important, you know, modes of accessibility and, you know, and it's important that, you know, while we don't put, you know, all our eggs in the basket of social media, again, for the obvious like privacy reasons and like at the end of the day, like, these websites are owned by companies who don't give a shit about you and it can be taken away at any time. But while we have these tools, while we can use them, it's, it's important that we do. Like I've learned so much, you know, from people that I'm personally connected to as well as from just like random people um, on the internet um, about so many different things. And, and it's connected to my work because I'm then able to build upon what I learn and apply it you know, to my own work, you know, whether it's not saying ableist slurs anymore, you know, or, you know, taking into account, you know, this historic event or that historic event and how that has shaped, you know, this thing that we deal with today or that thing. And I didn't know about this before until I read this Twitter thread or like whatever. And, you know, and so when I think about, you know, the way that I educate um, you know, as a community educator, you know, I do like workshops and things like that. But a lot of what I do is through my writing. And, you know, I will just when I think about the ways that writing, you know, people like June Jordan um, have influenced, you know, as I said, not only my storytelling, but also the purpose of the storytelling um, is just so important. And I know I, I only mentioned the uh, I only mentioned June Jordan, but um, also um, Robert Jones, um, who is um, son of Baldwin on social media. Uh, Robert Jones Jr., let me correct myself, um, is just absolutely amazing and absolutely one, actually one of the people um, that I've learned. I've been following him on social media, I want to say, for at least about a decade or so, or almost a decade. And he's one of the people that I've immensely learned from over the years. Um, as an as a creative, you know, he's an author, um, a fiction author, um, and also, you know, as a, a community activist. And I don't know that he would call himself that specifically, um, but I think, at least spiritually, if you want to, if you want to call it that, um, I would definitely consider him one um, because I've learned um, so much from him, you know, digitally. We're both in New York, but we I've never met him, and you know. I, it's funny, I had like other names in my head and then I was like, uh, 
like I went off on that entire tangent and so now I'm like mm. <laughs> no you're you're fine if you want you can um shoot us a list and we can kind of do little snippets of info linking people to that in our show notes oh yeah um, sure if, if you want to just list authors we'll do the footwork of putting all that stuff together um no that's awesome yeah part of I have to admit I selfishly asked that because um, one of my favorite and most influential authors, you know, from the black community has been Bell Hooks. Um, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. Her and Audrey yeah, Lord were hugely influential in my social work. And I definitely went into social work and college with like, this is what feminism is. And then mm-hmm. I read their works and was like, oh, what I have to think <laughs> is not really feminism. I need mm-hmm. to, I need to make some changes and adjust. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they were hugely influential for me with that. So, um, cause feminism is not feminism if it's not intersectional. So yeah, those were some of my big takeaways, but I was, I was curious to see who else had influenced you. Cause again, you have such a prolific voice in your writing. You. And I was curious kind of where, um, and obviously some of that is organic, but I I've been curious of yeah. how that's come to shape. So, yeah, I think a lot of, and like, he's not, um, well, he's a writer. But um, in terms of how I got introduced to him, I think a lot of what I learned in those early years at Rutgers um, was really transformational. And so another person um, who is a writer, but is one of those like multi-hat storytellers like myself um, was also um, Marlon Riggs. And um, he is an ancestor, Um, but you know, he was um, all these different things, including a filmmaker and, you know, as I said, you know, my activism, you know, started at Rutgers as a student leader um, in the alphabet soup community. <laughs> and, and um, you know, and so, you know, part of the, the organization that I was a part of um, there, um, you know, we would do different activities. And, you know, one of the things was, of course, like a lot of student orgs, you know, screening films sometimes. And we screened one of his films um, I believe it was Black is Black Ain't. I believe that's the film of his that uh, we screened. But um, yeah, I just, I was absolutely in love. Um, and, you know, he was a, uh, if I recall correctly, it's been, it's been so long. It actually, um, there was a, a post by Senator Baldwin uh, recent, relatively recently, within the last few months, uh, where he asked us like about things that we, wanted to revisit, you know, things that had influence on us. And, um, and I had mentioned uh, Riggs um, on the post and I, but I haven't gotten around to it yet, like with everything I've been dealing with and then like onboarding with the new job and everything. Um, but uh, what was I gonna say? Um, but like, you know, like I said, you know, writer, filmmaker, um, you know, black, obviously, since we're talking about, <laughs> lol, uh, you know, gay, um, I believe, um, also um, HIV positive, um, and just just really amazing. And, and actually, rev- the very first um, essay that I had published when I mentioned for Black Girl Dangerous, um, I actually brought up um, some of his work, you know, as part of, you know, worked it into my essay. Um, so, like, you know, again, like, you know, it kind of touches. Um, people like him, you know, really touch uh, the work that I do and the work that I've done. And, 
the way that I think about my work. Um, you know, and again, it's that intersectionality, like, you know, he wasn't just black, he wasn't just gay, like, you know, June Jordan wasn't just black, wasn't just bi. And, and they were both storytellers. And, you know, and so I think like, the people like them that I came across um, as an undergrad, as I was just building, not only my own queer identity, you know, as a bi person, but also, um, you know, building my identity as an activist, um, and in some ways, even, you know, building my identity as a creative person, even though it wasn't something that I was, like, actively doing at the time. Like, I did, like, a few, like, spoken word performances, but I wasn't, like, you know, and of course, like, you know, when you're someone who's a creative, like, naturally, like, you're always gonna, like, oh, that's a song idea or whatever, but, like, you know, I wasn't actively pursuing it at the time, you know, but even then, like, they still had that influence on my, on me as a creative person. And so there were these, like, three, it's like these, this three-pronged experience, like, myself as a person, you know, as a bi person specifically, as a queer person specifically, myself as a storyteller, you know, as a creative specifically, and then myself as an activist specifically. And and you know definitely my time at Rutgers and and the the leaders you know that I learned about there um, the people who I didn't even like it didn't even occur to me like like oh this person is part of this community and we learned about them but they never talked about they were gay like you know like uh, <laughs> when we were in school but um, you know and and really being able to you know again reclaim that history and learn what we get cut off from. Um, is, has been a really um, influential um, part of my growth, uh, my knowledge, my learning. Um, and so, yeah, I'm forever, forever grateful to people like them and many more who I probably have not named, <laughs> both contemporary and elders and ancestors. Thank you for listening to the Not So Crafty Gorgons. We really appreciate your support and we couldn't do any of this without you, our listeners. Cover art is by Marina Soul Art. Music is by Naveed, who is a min me on Fiverr. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review or rating on whatever platform that you prefer. And for exclusive content with the Gorgons, including tutorials, swag, and bonus episodes, subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash notsocraftygorgons. For episode previews and other updates, follow us on Instagram at not underscore so underscore crafty underscore gorgons.